The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We are back in the book of Mark. Everyone say, yeah. yeah! Today's topic, and this is not, this is in the book of Mark where we left off, picking it back up. What are the two things you love talking about at the dinner table? Religion and? That's what we're talking about today. Everyone say, oh, oh. No, I'm really excited. Uh, Mark chapter 6, if you have been tracking with us before the Christmas season, we've been journeying through Mark to find out what it means to lead a marked life. And and this morning's text is like a Tarantino story in the Gospel of Mark where we're going to see what happened to John the Baptist in the past. Because Mark is one of the Gospels that doesn't actually cover it in the chronology of the story of Jesus' life and ministry. We know that John the Baptist came and he proclaimed that Jesus was coming but now we're going to find out how he died today. And if I just said this phrase, can you imagine a government that works against the Christian faith? Can you, can you imagine a time where a cultural personality who's known for dancing would speak out against Christianity? If you don't want to follow the news, I'm talking about all of it. I'm talking about Lady Gaga and Mike Pence having a little duel on the interwebs of life. And in case you're here and you're thinking, uh-oh, here comes another, you know, God is right wing. I don't think that's true. I'm, I'm much more in the Rick Warren camp. I don't think God is right wing or left wing. I think God tends to be more whole bird. So today, I need you to put aside your animosities or your love for the Donald. I need you to put aside your, your pins or colors that you wear around election time. I don't care whether you're the blue side, the red side, the green side, the weed side. Today we're going to be on Jesus' side. Okay? Okay. So we're going to pray. We're going to be in Mark 6, 14. I'm, I'm going to pray. And if you have questions to send in, I don't know if this would be a good questioning service, but you never know. But so my number will be up there intermittently, but we're going to pray. Then we're going to read the, read the story and work through it. Lord, there, there are so many things that, you've, that you teach us. Today, Father, I pray that we would step into the reality that you have a plan and that your plan transcends our plan and, and that your plans are better than our plans. Lord, I know that often we pray to be delivered from situations that are difficult in our life, but I know, Lord, that Oftentimes, you don't deliver me from situations. You deliver me into situations for my own good, even when I don't like it initially. I pray that today, as we look at the story of John the Baptist in hindsight, today as we just crack open a little bit of the the political connection to faith in the time of Jesus, that you would make us more gracious as a people, that you would make us more kind toward others who believe differently than ourselves, that this wouldn't be a battle about who is the most right. But today, Lord, we could simply rest in the fact that in you we have all that we need. We don't need to try to be superior to another group or person because you are enough for our identity. You are enough for our worth. You are enough for our value. You are enough for our purpose. You are enough. You are all that we need. 
make it known this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. Um, we're going to read a little, talk a little. Verse 14. This is after Jesus is doing miracles. He's healed the woman who was bleeding. He raised the girl from the dead. He sends out his people to go share the good news throughout the towns. And King Herod, everyone say, King Herod. Everyone say, mean guy. <clears throat> king Herod was a very vicious king. He reigned from 4 B.C. until approximately uh, the late 30s. So the, the span of Jesus' life, this was the king over the area where Jesus was ministering. He heard of what Jesus was doing. He heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his, brother's, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Are you tracking here? This guy married his brother's wife, and she had tricked him somehow, we're going to find out, into killing John the Baptist. Herodias had a grudge against him, against John the Baptist. You know what they say, hell hath no fury like a? I'm, I'm glad that that was mostly women that said that, not the men. The men are like, I ain't falling for this. I've been in this trap before. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod, when, he was, when John was alive, Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So this is this, is this back and forth glimpse that we see here. Herodias, this woman, wanted to kill John because John said, Herod, you should not marry your brother's wife. And Herod didn't want to do anything, even though his wife said, I don't like that guy, I don't like that guy, I don't like that guy. Herod said, I don't want to kill him because I know that he is a holy and righteous man. Now, here's the thing about Jesus, because this story starts out with asking, who is Jesus? Is he John the Baptist raised from the dead? Is, is Jesus Elijah? Has he come back? Is he a prophet of old? Herod was convinced, this is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist, and I know it because he's coming to haunt me. Because I, I had his head removed from him. Now, as modern-day followers of Jesus, there's something that really grates my soul like a cheese grater, and that is how tied we've become to politics, right? We even have slogans for it. it you can call it, the people call it the religious right, there's, there's people who lead these movements to try to get Christians to be in one political party. And I understand, I get it. I understand that there are aspects of some political parties that seem to promote values that are congruent. But, but if we're looking at the Bible, I would say, like Rick Warren, that there are aspects of both political sides that you see in the Bible. In this story... It struck me that the king had heard of Jesus because of what Jesus was doing. Jesus wasn't lobbying for the king's ear. Jesus wasn't trying to legislate morality into the culture of his day. He was simply bringing the kingdom of God in his life to the people that he encountered. He was bringing love and forgiveness and his truth to the people that he encountered. I think sometimes we, 
we pass the buck over to politics. In case you haven't figured this out yet, you cannot legislate morality. It might sound good to say, let's ban this or ban that, but you cannot write a law that will change the human heart. God alone changes the human heart. Now in this story, it's so fun because we get to see what happened to John the Baptist. How many of you read news? I just need a show of hands. How many of you are regular news people? Okay, so when I say Karen Pence, how many of you know what's going on with her? I just need to check, okay? Um, when I say the MAGA hat boys, how many of you know what's going on with them? Okay. Um, you guys, our world is, our, our country is crumbling with division. The last presidential election, people left the chapel because I wouldn't endorse a particular candidate. They, they left the family of God because I wouldn't say, this is who we should side with. Can someone say, that's crazy? Okay. Because I don't want to feel like I was the only crazy one. Because I said, don't let the door hit you. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I kicked it and made sure it hit a bop. No, I'm, I didn't do that either. Man. Let's live our lives in such a way that when the, the leaders hear about what we're doing, at least they say that is a holy and righteous group, and at least we're speaking in such a way to where they want to listen. Herod heard Jesus or John the Baptist gladly. Herod said, I don't know that I believe everything this guy's saying, but the way that he talks makes me want to listen. Sometimes the way that we talk makes people that disagree with us want to tune us out. If we talk with bullhorns, I've, I've never met a person ever in 20 years of doing this. I've never met a person in a congregation who says, you know how I came to Christ? I was at Gasparilla, and this guy was just screaming in my face with a bullhorn. And I was like, the love of Christ has compelled me to know under this fountain of hatred I've, I've never met that person, ever. And as I've joked before, like the reason we don't have bumper stickers, because I've never met the person who came to a church gathering and said, how did you come to know Jesus? Well, you know what? One day I was driving down the road, and I saw a Jesus fish eating a coexist fish. And then I realized, bop, that's it. I love the corny Christian stuff, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't like the shirts that, like, say spirit in the Sprite text. But I do like the blue shirt. I like the Y'all Need Jesus shirt. Where is it? I like Y'all Need Jesus. Because you're wearing it today. Because in the one sermon that I mentioned a few months back, one of the students was wearing it to Newsome High and got sent to the office for wearing a Y'all Need Jesus shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yes, finally, someone responds. John the Baptist was faithful, and he ended up dead for God. Because in verse 21, the story goes on. An opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for the nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, a dancing girl, the fall of many men. 
The king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me up to half my kingdom, I will, I'll give it to you. She went out to her mother and said, what should I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That's the end of John the Baptist's story. John the Baptist was doing everything God wanted him to do, and it ended badly. I need you to hear this, because so often we equate life going well according to our plans as God doing things, blessings for us. The biggest blessing that you can have in your life is to be exactly where God is directing you in the moment that he's directing you there, even if it is to your death. Early on, um, I'd, I'd been a believer for less than a couple of years, and the, the church that I became a follower of Jesus at had these conferences. And I didn't know at the time, because when I became a follower of Jesus, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know who was famous and who was not famous. I didn't know the stories of anyone. I had read the Bible, and I'd read mostly books by dead people. And we had these conferences that were called purity conferences back then. This was when a big popular book in youth groups was I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, and it was all about purity, which I'm a huge fan of purity. Like purity for our teenagers, our, our students, our children. Also purity for husbands and wives in a culture that sexualizes everything. And we had these conferences and there was one speaker there. And because I was on the team that planned the conferences, I would always hang out in the back room. So they would speak. And in my mind, it was just a regular church. But now looking back, it was a very upper middle class Caucasian church, and our sanctuary sat about 2,500 people. Now, not that many people came on any given weekend, but for this purity conference, it was packed out. And I was like, man, some of these speakers must have some serious clout. And I was sitting in the green room before anything had started. We were having breakfast, and I was talking with this lady. Her name was Elizabeth, and she was old, like old, old, back then even. Yeah, this is in the early 2000s, late 90s. And I, I was just talking to her. I said, so uh, you're one of our speakers. Thank you for coming out. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, are you passionate about this topic? How would you get involved with talking about purity? And we were just talking about Christianity and this and that. And, uh, and then I was just walking around with her. I'm like, oh, I'll take you. This is where we're going to go. We're going to have you over here because I was the peon. So I directed the people here. We're going to sit here. Here's your name thing. And then I, I get done talking to her and I go over to my seat. And someone behind me goes, hey, hey. Have you been talking with her? I was like, yeah, Elizabeth. She's super sweet. And they're like, do you know who she is? Yeah, Elizabeth, duh. <laughs> and they go, that's Elizabeth Elliot. I'm like, great, I knew that too. I printed out her name placard, a duh. Like, do you know who Elizabeth Elliot is? Elizabeth Elliot, we just went over this. She goes, no, no, no. You, that girl's husband got speared to death on the mission field. And then she went back and shared the gospel with the people that speared her husband to death and led them to Jesus. And I was like, wait a second. She was married to that guy named Jim Elliott because I've read books about people that died. And then I, I look over, and this tiny old lady gets up and talks about purity. Not from this moral superiority sense, but purity in the sense that she loved God so much 
that no matter what was going on in her life, no matter what God was directing her to do, she wanted to live for God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Her husband apparently shared the same conviction. He died for God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Elizabeth talked often about how her husband knew that he was going to the mission field. Her husband wasn't this grand hero that he's been painted to be in the movies that have been made about him and the books that have been written. She says he was a regular guy. He was very self-disciplined, but he was called. He was called to go to the mission field and give his life for Jesus. And the way that Jim approached life is, is that when you were a Christian in America and you weren't going to the mission field, he would look at you with the eyes that said, why aren't you a missionary? Because we do it backwards here. When someone's a missionary, say, why are you going to do that? I met with someone yesterday who's praying and thinking about giving up everything, selling their home and doing something else for Jesus. And our common response is, why would you do that? Why would you give up everything to go serve with very little? It sounds like an interesting theme in the Bible. I, if I think about the story arc of the Bible, I think about someone who gave up a lot and became very lowly. Obviously, this is Jesus. In this story of John the Baptist, we see a government that rallies against God's people. We see manipulation of a cultural icon of a sort, a dancing girl manipulating her way into the death of John the Baptist. I think John was probably good to go. The guy had been eating bugs for his whole ministry. But the way that we talk about morality now, it can't be tinged with superiority because people don't listen to that. It's, it's interesting now because no matter where you are in the fence, and I'm not saying po politically now, I'm just saying religious followers of Jesus or non-religious followers of Jesus or people who follow Jesus with a totally different worldview of the Bible because this is a quote from a dancing girl that lives now, Lady Gaga. She said in a recent show, Mike Pence is the worst representation of what it means to be a Christian. Now, spoiler alert, I do not know Lady Gaga or Mike Pence. I don't know what their faiths are. I know things that they believe from what they say publicly. I know that the reason Mike Pence is under fire is because his wife took a job at a Christian school that has a statement of faith of things that Christians have literally believed for thousands of years. And that's why he's under fire. Because his wife, who's not elected, took a job at a Christian school with a statement of faith of things that Christians have believed for thousands of years. Now, we can do this. We can say, well, Lady Gaga, the cuckoo is out of the clock with her. Have you heard her songs? Yes, I have. I've danced to her songs. Because one of them says, just dance. I've put on my poker face. I've ridden on the edge of glory. I was born a regular way, not that way. I'm just seeing who listens to Lady Gaga right now, and it's so good. Now, in case you don't know, I was just dropping all of her famous songs, okay? That's what I was just doing to see who sins. <laughs> That's why I pointed one at you, but three back at me. 
here, recently a building was lit up, the tower was lit up for the legalization of abortion in New York. They lit the, t the top of the, power, the tower pink. So here's what Christians do. We say, oh, why should we listen to, to Lady Gaga? Lady Gaga is the worst. Oh, my gosh. It shouldn't have been pink. The tower should have been painted blood red. Look, you guys, it's, this is faith colliding with politics right here in this story. The man of faith gets his head chopped off. You think, well, whew, good thing we live in America where that kind of stuff doesn't happen yet. We should be thinking not how to change the, the message of the gospel of Jesus, but how we are saying it. Because when we put up memes that demean other people, is our heart to get some sort of internet victory or to love people toward Jesus and to draw them in toward the love of Christ? John the Baptist gave his life to serve God. Jesus, God in the flesh, gave his life to redeem humanity. And here we are desperately trying to keep as much of our life our own as possible. Jesus left the throne of heaven, gave up all of this amazing adulation and worship and became a human infant to be mocked, spit on, beaten, and killed. Not so that we could have our best life now. It's so that we can have the best life with God forever. Jesus isn't up at night worrying about your financial status. Unless, of course, your financial status is greed, because he worries about, he, he pursues you in that, not worries, he pursues you to make you generous instead of greedy. He pursues you to be out of debt instead of in debt, because these are things in his word. We have the choice politically. We can go where God tells us to go and be who God tells us to be with grace, grace and kindness, or we can be what I think too many of us have become. There's a reason why during elections I won't have people sign us up to vote because this is not a place for politics. This is a place to hear the good news of Jesus. This is a place where Jesus has to be the supreme focus of our mind and soul. This is a place where we can say, I'm not coming to, to just find life. I'm coming to find eternal life, but I want to find death of my sin now. Every Sunday ought to be a journey where we put to death the things in us that are against God so that he can raise to life the spirit of Christ within us. Jim Elliott died, I think, probably with Jesus on his mind. The Lord called Elizabeth Elliott to go back and share. She led them to Christ and lived a very long life and has since passed on to be with the Lord. But she did what God told her when God told her. Some, some of you think that God's telling you to get rich or get healthy. John the Baptist accepted his fate. God, like I said earlier, sometimes calls you out of situations. But I think more often than not, God calls us into situations for our good. Some of you think, if I just had this much money, then my life would be easier. I, I would say the opposite. If you had too much money or too much health, those things diminish faith. 
Faith comes when you're desperate for someone to rescue. And you can choose the beauty of Christianity. Do you want to follow a God who you have to depend on even when it doesn't make sense? Or do you want to follow a God who's just a genie that gives you everything you want? If you said, I want the genie God, it's because the true God of your life is yourself. If the idea of having your head removed from your body is terrifying, read this story again and again because the reality is that Christianity will continue to become more marginalized and that is not a bad thing. Pastors and Christians across our country bemoan the fact that Christianity is on the decline, that the influence of Christianity is on the decline in this country. Do not bemoan that fact. Every single place, every single time in history that Christians are persecuted, do you know what happens? The church grows. So if, Lord willing, one day I get arrested because I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman and it's an eternal covenant, if one day I get arrested because I say that I don't like killing babies, then that's a good thing for me to be arrested. That's a good thing for you to stand up for what you believe and you don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to post the things that mock others to stand up for what you believe in. John knew what he believed in. He told Herod, you cannot marry your brother's wife. That's why he was killed. Morality, when you take a stand on something, will eventually get you killed. But I think it's better to stand with God in humility, in humility, than to waver on every issue that passes our gates. Because in case you haven't figured this out by now, this this the newest crop of adults coming up. They are changing culture faster than the speed that we've ever seen in our lives. In my generation, it was like you had to read the newspaper. And then they had MySpace, but not everyone had MySpace. And then we had the Facebook and the this and that, and then the Twitter. It used to be what's here today is gone tomorrow. Now it's here today, gone literally one second from now. And there is a message that's being preached by those who are against the church. The message is this. Look at Catholic boys wearing MAGA hats. They must all be racists. Probably not all racists. You'll never catch me wearing a MAGA hat, though. Not that I don't like the slogan, Make America Great Again. But I think I mean something totally different. Make America Great Again to me means that we would humble ourselves and serve others as Christ served us. Make America Great Again means that instead of shaming women who are pregnant, out of wedlock, we would serve them and love them. Making America great again means that instead of fighting over politics, we would put them to the side, vote as the word leads us, and pray for the leaders on whichever political party side, because that's what the Bible tells us to do. If you hate our president, the Bible tells you to pray for him. If you love our president, the Bible tells you to pray for him. We have a choice to navigate going forward. How will we react when difficult times come? Because if they haven't hit you yet, even in Florida, in southern Florida, we're not the buckle of the Bible belt, but we're on the Bible belt somewhere. We're one of the outer loops. 
and a kid gets sent to the principal's office for wearing a shirt that says, y'all need Jesus. Churches are crumbling in their stance on God's word because the tide of sexual differences and beliefs is overtaking churches. As long as I'm here on this stage, I'll stand for what the word of God teaches. But I pray that as we stand for it, we stand with a type of humility that doesn't say, this is what the word of God teaches and I'm better than you because I believe it. This is what the word of God teaches and I follow it because I know no other way. Because Jesus gave his life for me. Because Jesus gave his life to save me, why wouldn't I give my life to save the unborn? Because Jesus gave his life to serve a weary sinner who is full of sexual pursuits and drugs and greed, why wouldn't I give my life to serve people who are broken sexually, addicted to substances and greed? If God would save me and you with grace and sacrifice, how in the world can we stand in a place of arrogance and say, look how right I am and how wrong you are? So it's time to get off our thrones and go perhaps to our deaths to bring the good news of Jesus to a divided political world, even if it means the end of us. Because I read somewhere this amazing thing. If you want to have life, true life, you must lose your life now. You must take up your cross and deny yourself. This is not a game of religious clubness that we do just for fun and community. Those are byproducts of a people on mission to bring the good news of Jesus to a painful and hurting world. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you would love us the way that you do. Lord, that you would look down on 17-year-old Ryan and say, I'm going to die for him is bewildering. It's bewildering to me, God, that you would look down and see all of the sins of all of our lives here, just in this room alone, and say, I want them as my sons and daughters so much so that you would leave the throne to be pinned onto a cross, to be mocked, beaten, and spit upon. And then, Lord, to, to see all that and then see how Christians today, instead of mocking and being spit upon. We are, we are mocking others. It, it drives me crazy. Help us, God, to be a people who are shaped by your love for us above everything else. Help us to be a people who do not demean others with memes and quips online. Help us to be a people who will serve those who are broken and in need. Help us to be a people who will not shout with anger, but call with love. Help us to be a people who aren't afraid to die. Help us to be a people who stand on your principles, but we stand on our knees. God, I thank you for the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.